So as it turns out, I'm not crazy. And God's people said, ah. <laughs> it's just that whenever I talk about how cold it was and how snowy it was in the mountains where I grew up, people always respond this way, oh, you were just a kid. It didn't snow that much. It wasn't that cold. Everything seems bigger when you're so little. But listen to what I discovered. The 1960s and the 1970s, the decades in which I grew up, are the snowiest on record since 1900. All right? So I know winter. And I know freezing cold temperatures from mountain blasts of air. And I know snow. And I know that nothing grows in winter. And I know white snow doesn't stay white for long. It gets tracked and dirty and dingy and ugly as it melts away. And I know that winter is bleak. That's why the Christmas song is entitled, In the Bleak Midwinter. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And so contrary to our expectations, something does grow in the winter. Grace. Grace appeared in Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace upon grace. Samuel Rutherford lost six of his seven children before they were five years old. He was imprisoned because he loved so well to preach the gospel. He had other trials and sufferings as well, and he writes this, Grace grows best in winter. Grace grows best in winter. I like how God makes opposite, things opposite from what we expect. He exalts the humble. He humbles the haughty. He honors the poor. He welcomes the sinners. He says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He says the servant becomes the greatest and then God washes feet. And he does make grace grow. In winter, grace, the riches of Christ, the richness of Christ, given to us freely by Christ, can come to us in unexpected times and unexpected ways, so you and I can hope that grace will grow in winter. And that's what I want us to be encouraged by this morning as we turn once again to Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll take them now, or take a, a Bible from the rack in front of you and turn to Luke chapter 1, and when you've found your place, I'll ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. From Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57, this is the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, 
and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called, his, called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And prophesied, saying, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless your word now that we've heard to our understanding. Grant us, we pray, your spirit in abundance so that we may know your grace and grow in faith. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to complete our picture of Zechariah this morning. When we encountered him at the beginning of chapter 1 on the first Sunday of Advent, it wasn't his most shining life moment. And so this morning, first, we're going to look at Zechariah's failed faith, and then secondly, at the grace that brings it back. So first, the failed faith. Faith. When the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah from the presence of God to tell him that he would have a son, and when Gabriel even described in detail this yet-to-be-born son, that he would be great before the Lord, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, that he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and that he would go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, Zechariah responds, not with full faith, but instead with a flawed faith, a, a failed faith. He asks Gabriel, how shall I know this? In other words, how do I know that you're telling me the truth? Prove what you have said to me is true. Had Zechariah had time to think about it, he would have probably concluded that any other proof couldn't be more solid or convincing or miraculous than a visit from an angel sent from the presence of God. And yet Zechariah's faith failed. And much is made about Zechariah's unbelief here. And you and I, at least I, am prone to say, shame on you, to the people that we read about in Scripture. Because I think that we love, live under the delusion that we would have done differently. We, you and I, who are required to live by faith, 
and not by sight until the clouds be rolled back like a scroll and the Lord descends. We believe, if only we could have seen, like the people of Scripture did, we would have acted differently. We would have done better. We would have never eaten the fruit of that tree in the garden. And if an angel appeared to us with a message, we would have believed right away. In fact, we often think that sight is the only thing that we lack. If only we could see an angel. If only we could really see Jesus. If we could only see, then we would be absolutely sure and our faith would be strong. But scripture says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then scripture defines faith in this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so faith tells us that unseen things are the real things, the unseen things of God, the unseen things of Christ, the unseen work of the Holy Spirit, the unseen things of heaven. These are the real things. These are the most true things, and everything else is passing away. 1 Corinthians 7 says, For the present form of this world is passing away. The Apostle John writes in his first letter, Do not love the world or the things in the world, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So faith shows us the forever things. Sight shows us the things that are passing away. And this is what faith believes. But here's where Zechariah's faith failed him. When he was confronted by sight with this angel from the unseen world, carrying a message from the unseen world, he did not believe it. What he said he believed about God did not translate into reality in his life in this moment when his faith was most needed. And before we write Zechariah off, we need to consider these humbling words to us. In verse 6 of Luke chapter 1, we read that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were both righteous before God and walked blamelessly in all the statutes and commandments of the Lord. They were righteous. They did what was right. They acted uprightly and justly before God, according to God's standards. Theirs was not a pharisaical righteousness that was done only before the eyes of men to garner the praise of men, to receive glory from men. No. Luke tells us that they lived rightly before God, and they did it blamelessly, without fault. Zechariah had both faith and sight. He was righteous, and he saw an angel, and still 
his faith failed. He failed to believe that the impossible things that God spoke could really be true. And so this is a cautionary tale for you and, and for me. And that, and that if Zechariah was righteous and blameless and his faith failed, what about you and I who are often not so faithful? What about you and I who may not be living righteously and uprightly before the Lord? Not living up to the standard that he puts before us that we've seen in 1 Peter. To seek to be holy as God is holy. These are not questions intended to produce guilt. Or to, they're instead caused, asked to cause examination. How do we believe faith exists? How does grace grow if we starve it of the riches and the richness of Christ found in his word and in prayer? Then our faith will probably fail. It will not believe Gabriel when he says here in verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. Now, God has not seen, to give, seen fit to give us an explanation about why Zechariah's faith failed. We don't know where his flaw was. And Luke, when he did all of his extensive interviews to put this story together, never discovered why Zechariah didn't respond in faith. Or if he did make that discovery, he was not inspired by God to tell you and me about it. And that's probably for our best. Because all of us here in this room have our own unique challenges to faith, to living by faith, to responding in faith. And so I'm glad that the reason is unclear. It leaves room for us to examine what's in our own heart instead of judging Zacharias for what was in his. Different people with different faith strengths and different grace needs. We don't know where Zacharias' faith flaw is, but we do know where God takes him. So let's move now to look at the grace of God to restore that faith. Look in verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. And then follows 11 verses of beautiful prophecy about the coming Christ and Zechariah's newborn son, John, who would prepare the way for him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, this is a glorious transition from no faith to prophesying the truth of God. When did it occur? I would say that it occurred in a spiritual winter for Zechariah. A time when Zechariah felt the chill of shame come over him for his unbelief. His lack of faith came with consequences. Gabriel was authorized by God to speak these words to Zechariah in verse 20. Behold, 
you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so for at least nine months and perhaps longer, Zechariah could not speak. And we speculate that he could not hear either because verse 62 tells us that people were communicating with him through sign language. So apparently, silence and unable to speak are not synonymous for one punishment, muteness. But apparently, Zechariah was to be deaf and unable to hear as well. So, when Zechariah heard this pronouncement made by Gabriel, he must have felt that this would indeed be a spiritual winter. What could he expect to grow in this quiet, silent world? Well, we know the answer. Grace. Grace grew and it produced faith. It's purely speculation on how Zechariah might have spent those silent months, those winter months. Perhaps winter produced some fervent devotion in Zechariah that drove him to the word of God and to intense prayer to find warmth in the presence of God. So that though both in, in that silence, he discovered the grace of God and the riches and the richness of God that he had planned all along to send a Messiah and to send him now. Perhaps Zechariah discovered that Scripture is a record of faith, flaws, and failures. And perhaps he saw in a new way, or for the first time, that when faith failed over and over and over again, in God's Word, by God's people, there was God's grace for them. God did not cast them off. Is that good news? And now Zechariah joins their ranks. This is all complete speculation, but it's very reasonable because transformation does take place and grace does grow in us when we devote ourselves to God's word and to prayer. What we do know is that grace grew in Zechariah's winter and the result is this spirit-inspired song of praise. And I think we might be wrong as well to assume that this was a spontaneous outburst on the part of Zechariah. You know, evangelical Protestants are always prone to think that anything that's prepared cannot really be from the Lord. If you write out a prayer, if you think ahead of time, you must not be spirit-led and spirit-filled. Everything must be extemporaneous. Again, pure speculation. But what if? What if Zechariah had labored over and written and memorized these words during his winter with God and was just waiting for the fall to come so that he could sing them out. In any case, these are glorious words that display a glorious transition for Zechariah from flawed, failing faith to spirit-inspired, full faith. Who would have expected it? Well, God. Because he's so full of grace upon grace. And so then the punishment meted out to 
Zechariah turned into something glorious for Zechariah and for those blessed enough to be present to hear his words and for you and for me this morning to read those words. And so this puts Zechariah's punishment or his winter in a new light, does it not? And so here's our hope, yours and mine. Our flawed faith, which we all have, our failing faith doesn't result in forsaking. Grace grows in winter. Sometimes God brings winter to you and me for his purpose, to end in his glory and for our good. And sometimes that winter is not of our own doing. Sometimes that winter, that difficult trial might come when you and I are being the most faithful. But God knows that we need something more, more grace, more faith for a different moment at a different time. And so he brings winter to us. Rutherford also says, how soon would faith freeze without a cross, without trial, without suffering. On the other hand, some winters you and I inflict on ourselves. And I would say that's true of Zechariah. He did not believe. But no one can deny God used even this self-inflicted winter to achieve his purpose, to end in his glory and for the good of Zechariah. To quote the song again, in the bleak midwinter, earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. And sometimes that describes our hearts, that hardness, that coldness, because we neglect, listen, we neglect the means of grace, the, the ways that God delivers his grace to us. Here it is, through his word, through prayer, through his table, through fellowshipping with one another who love the Lord. But the good news is we are never beyond God's grace. And why is this important to know? Well, so that you and I draw near. So that you and I never believe that a failure in faith or that a less than full faith causes God to withdraw from us. He does not any more than he withdrew from Zechariah. Grace grew in Zechariah's winter.